0: You're listening to episode 18 of the Equipping ELLs podcast. I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode today. Courtney Morgan is my guest on the show, and she is an English learner specialist and teacher that's living in North Carolina. She has incredible experience to share with us, and we really focus today's episode on breaking down how to write those pesky language objectives. And I think by the end, you're going to see through the way that she clearly helps us understand how to do it, you're going to come away feeling empowered to do that and ready to tackle those language objectives for any content lesson you're teaching. Courtney has shifted into the role now where she focuses on supporting multilingual students and the teachers and has her own business, the All Access Classroom, where she helps equipping gen ed teachers to confidently make their lessons accessible to English learners. All right, let's get started. Welcome, Courtney. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much, Beth. I am excited to chat with you today. Now, if you do not follow Courtney on Instagram, go stop right now and go follow her because she gives the most amazing tips, tricks, easy to implement strategies for helping your English language learners, especially in the homeroom classroom. Your heart is really to help general ed teachers understand how they can scaffold and support the ELLs in their classroom, which is an amazing goal and skill that we all need. We want to have that connection of the homeroom teachers also supporting their ELLs along with the ESL teacher. When that happens, that's where our students succeed. So I love your heart to really help break things down for general ed teachers that might not have any training in that. So go check her out on Instagram and Alexis classroom, and we'll put a link in the show notes as well, but share a little bit about your teaching experience, what you're doing right now with us.
1: Yeah. So I spent many years in the gen ed classroom setting. I taught second, third, and fourth grade. And had multilingual learners in my classes, of course, and I had been trained in ESL. I got my master's degree in multicultural education, I think it was in 2010. So I was teaching in the gen ed classroom. Even with this degree, I found myself struggling quite a bit, particularly when I would have a newcomer in my class. And I felt really kind of guilty because I felt like I was constantly saying, I need to do more. Oh gosh, you know, I don't have time to figure this out. Uh, I, I was constantly wrestling with that. Even as this experienced teacher, I was like, what am I missing here? And I didn't have a whole lot of support or training. So then when I moved into my current position as an EL specialist, one of my top priorities was, oh gosh, like I am going to be, you know, looking for ways that I can support the teachers in the Gen Ed setting because I was there and I I know how hard that was. Yeah, <laughs> at times. And I see that even now, like on a regular basis. I'm talking to teachers who are expressing that same level of overwhelm. And so yeah, I really try to make everything presented in a real palatable way and in a bite-sized kind of format so that teachers can digest it easily and implement it easily, and it can have high impact for their students. So that's kind of what I do now in my current position. I work with elementary ELs and some middle school level work as well, and and of course, supporting the teachers in my district. So I love it so much. And it's cool because I'm able to kind of draw from my gen ed experience when I'm connecting with those teachers too. So.
0: That's wonderful, and I, I've talked to so many teachers who have made that switch from homeroom teacher to or agenda teacher to be an ESL teacher, and I think we all experience that who are on this side of like being advocates for our ELLs and seeing when we catch that wind of like these students are awesome and we're having breakthrough and we're seeing them grow, and I'm I was on that side too. I was a homeroom teacher. And then had my bilingual certificate and ESL certificate, got my master's in that. And even with that training, I think there's so much that in the training, they're not preparing teachers to just know practical ways. Because once you start to unlock those practical ways to scaffold, I mean, it helps all the students in the class, you know? And so it's just like, why are we missing out on this? It helps every student in your class when you're able to, I mean, all of our students are academic language learners. They all need visuals. They all need word banks and sentence stems. So it's exciting to see when teachers start to see, okay, you know what? I can do a few little things and see a difference that I'm making, and then I can add on some more things. So your work is so important.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's it's good. There's some really key practices that can be just routines, I think, that can that are very doable, like you said. So
0: Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, today we're going to really focus on language objectives because I know many teachers, myself included, when the administration would say, where are your language objectives? I'd say, please don't say that word again. It would just (laughs) feel like I don't want to do that. It's, It's too much work, but there's really huge power behind having solid language objectives. And so today we're going to focus our conversation on more about language objectives. Let's begin with, is there resources to help kind of guide the language objectives? I know we have content standards. That's easy to kind of follow what we're supposed to be doing at each grade level. But with language learners, there's a lot of different language levels. There's grade levels, there's domains, there's a lot going on when we're trying to support our language learners. So what do you recommend as a starting place for a guide and standards when we're looking at language objectives?
1: Well, I always say start with knowing your students, right? That has to be kind of the foundation that you start from is knowing, even just having an at a glance chart of what the proficiency levels are of the students in your class. I would say that's a baseline necessity <laughs> because you have to know where they are in their language journey in order to know how to scaffold them. You know, the instruction for them ultimately. So starting from there, and then as far as creating language objectives, you don't need very much. And this is what's great is if if you can just have your content objectives, whatever they are, the common core objectives, your state objectives, you can draw a lot of meaning from those objectives, some great keywords that are intentionally placed in those objectives. And leverage those to help you to take a little bit more of the brain work out of the process for you when you're crafting a language objective that goes alongside of it. I think that's really important. You have to allow your content and language objectives to cohere and work together for the overall benefit of your lesson, right? It's good to have kind of a basic framework in mind too. I know for myself, I thought, you know, I just need to make a quick like template that I can use every single time I'm going to make a language objective. And I'm actually going to share that with with your listeners too, just because it's, for me, it it became like a cheat sheet (laughs) because I just needed like an at a glance, like something that would make it easy. And if you'd like, I can talk a bit about the WIDA standards. I know a lot of people are in WIDA states and they just updated their standards recently. And to me, even though those standards at first can require a bit of get to know you time, (laughs) (laughs) They, they can be really helpful as a tool as well to help with language objectives.
0: Yeah. Why don't you go into that, Courtney, a little bit more about the WIDA because the WIDA standards are available for free. Even if you're not in a WIDA state, you might find them really beneficial and helpful. So why don't you share a little bit about the new standards?
1: Yeah. So I love the overall motivation of those that created these standards They really are focusing on how are students using the language for productive purposes for learning in the classroom. And they did a ton of research to look at across the country, across grade levels and subject areas, how are students using speaking, writing, listening, and reading in the classroom. And then they crafted these language standards to align very specifically with those subject areas and grade levels and purposes. They call them key language uses. And then they organized this massive book of all these standards accordingly. Now, if you're in a certain grade level, you don't have to buy this huge, massive book that you may have seen (laughs) (laughs) of these these WIDA standards. (laughs) Like you said, it's it's available online and you can print off your grade level cluster, they call it, which is a much more manageable document there's basically three key elements of these standards and once you learn how to navigate them you can use them to kind of zip 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 and i got my language standard awesome and it cuts out a lot of the process and makes it very specific and meaningful right that's kind of the aim <laughs> so you know you can look at at the core you know use of language in whatever the lesson or unit is that you're looking at at the front end of planning right and say okay the main Language use that my students are going to be engaging in in this lesson is fill in the blank, and it may be that you want them to be explaining something in science, explaining how something worked when they tried it in their experiment. So you would look up within your grade level standards in the WIDA standards. You would go straight to the explaining standards for science. There's literally a page for. Explaining standards in science, right? And so on that page, then they have listed several different ways that students would use expressive language to explain something in science and also ways that they would be interpreting language that is explaining something in science. And so let's say that you want them to be expressing the explanation of something, well, there's there's standards right there. For example, I'm looking at the page right now. One of them is the students will describe observations and or data about a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's it's really neat because the more that I use these standards, the more I find myself quickly going to the page that I need. And then it just jumps off the page at me often this the standard that it's like oh that's ex- exactly actually what i need them to do in this lesson <laughs> how very cool of them to just have it written there for me and then the third element just goes one level deeper as far as detail and that those are called the language expectations and i'm sorry the language functions there's there's all these different terms but once you get past the terms it's I'm such a visual person. And so once I've learned the visual layout of these pages, I'm like, okay, I know what each of these parts is for. But the language functions just take it one level deeper. So it's things like they're going to uh, use pictures, diagrams, and graphs to add information or illustrate content. So it's just, it just takes it a little deeper in terms of adding more detail to that language standard. So again, I think once you get to know the standards and how they function, learn how to navigate them these can be a huge help in writing language objectives. So would you
0: take that, would that be your language objective then, or would you add to that, that
1: standard? So what I do is I, I use it kind of to give me the idea or sometimes just the wording, the terminology can be helpful with that as well. And often I look at the standards and they give me an idea of what the language objective should be. But then I always want to take it that next level level, further and say, okay, here's the language objective, meaning here's the goal. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's the outcome as far as language is concerned in my lesson. But given what I know about my students and their proficiency levels, are there some scaffolds and supports that I need to offer them so that they can achieve that language objective? And that's that's where really our you know, EL understanding of, of what supports are needed comes into play. Absolutely. And I think
0: you hit that on the head where if you're just downloading these standards or whatever standards people are working with and you're just looking through them, they get very overwhelming pages and pages of expectations. And you're thinking of your students like, I don't know if they can do that. But I like how you start with you have your focus in mind, you have your lesson already ready, and now you're going into the standards to pull out what connects with that. And I think that makes it more doable, more manageable, and it's more helpful. So I think that's a different way to switch at, you know, just kind of looking at these standards and saying, how am I going to cover this and this and this? And it feels very daunting. But I love that example you gave of like, here's a science and there's a perfect language objective that will help make sure we're pulling in the language, which is, is so necessary for all of our students. They all need that language support. You know, even our native speakers, we need to help be holding them accountable to defending, explaining the observation that they're doing. So I, I just love that. And that's where the power is, is having having that connect with the content. So let's talk about how to write language objectives. You got to into that a little bit, but it is very formulaic. And I think that's where you find the freedom and see the power in it when you start to use a formula and realize, oh, okay, here's common verbs that I can use, or here's Here's the scaffold that I'm going to attach with this. So I have, I already have an idea of here's exactly what we're hitting on in this lesson. And here's how I'm going to do that.
1: Yeah. So again, you start with your content objective. And then I like to say, get your performance task or your assessment in mind. This is just good practice anyway, for any teacher is to know what the objective is, know what that end goal what do you want students to essentially produce or demonstrate so that you know that they've mastered that standard? So you know that what you're teaching is working, right? (laughs) So when you have that, whatever that assessment task is, or it may just be a, a process activity kind of thing happening because you're in the middle of a unit and you just want students to engage in a certain way so that they can... Process what they're learning further. Once you have that in mind, as we say sometimes, put on your language lens and take a look at where is the language that's kind of embedded in that activity? What language is going to be required in order for students to be successful at that? And it may just be reading, it may just be a a reading task. It may be that they're speaking because they're in collaborative groups and they're going to need to explain something. Maybe it's a presentation each activity that we create and implement in our classrooms is going to demand some level of one of those language modalities being used or utilized. And I say, especially when you're just getting started with language objectives, just start by identifying one, whichever one rises to the surface as the most prominent. Because as you know, often there's Many different language <laughs> modalities yes. being used in a single lesson. Yes, in you fact, that's our goal. Alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like we want them using all of them. It's not like they're like only going to be listening in a <laughs> yeah. lesson. That's all. You Don't know? speak. But obviously, you know, we can't be writing, you know, twenty different language objectives for a single lesson. So, even though it's hard to narrow it down, sometimes I say just start by focusing on the one that's the most essential and and what's going to help them be successful in the assessment task ultimately. And then you're going to create your language goal around that that skill, whatever it is. And keep in mind that whatever the language objective you design is, it's probably going to help many of the learners in the class, even if they're not multilingual learners. And then from there, you can look at, again, okay, given that language objective, what are the ways that I can support my English learners who may need scaffolds in this area? What will help to get them on an even playing field and make this activity, whatever it is, accessible to them so that they can participate in a low-stress way, in a way that's going to help boost their own language learning? And this is where, for gen ed teachers, I say, this is where you can slide in some language, little mini language instructional boosts (laughs) into the context of your lesson. Because even as you're Thinking through, okay, what will help my learner get there? Just that act, just taking a quick moment to think through that is going to light little sparks in your brain of tools that you can give them, of little side conversations you might want to pull them aside to have, ways that you might want to partner them with someone in the class that could support them because you know that in this particular activity, their same language buddy might be a big support. Maybe it's a graphic organizer you decide to give them. Maybe it's giving them a little desk chart with the vocabulary from the lesson. You know, all these different great scaffolds, they start to be illuminated when you just take that moment to intentionally make a mental shift and go there and think, all right, what what about my multilingual learners? What do they need so that they can equitably participate in this activity?
0: Yes. I love that. And again, it just highlights the power of planning and it doesn't take a lot of time, but, but going there before you're in the middle of the lesson. And I think eventually when you get really used to scaffolds, you kind of can pull it out of your back pocket. Oh, okay. In this part, I can do this. But if you're new to working with multilingual learners, you know, just sitting and thinking through, Hey, what's one way that I can, I have this newcomer and we're working on this content, you know, science lesson, how can I include them in this instead of Oh, they're just going to go and go on the computer during this time. They can be a part of that lesson and they can, they can learn from that. And so finding ways to help unlock the language for them to be able to participate, that's where their confidence grows. So let's talk about that for a second, because I've had some teachers ask me, let's go back to that example of, you know, they had to explain the observations, you know, during a science, maybe a science experiment or something like that. How would you take that same language objective? Would you write different objectives for every language level? Let's say you have one newcomer, three beginners, and then you know a handful of intermediate students in your gen N class. How would you take that one language objective and would you just write three different ones or how would you approach that?
1: So in the case of that example, it sounds like the task you would want them to be able to access would be probably either writing down that explanation or speaking to give that explanation, right? And so your your language objective would probably use those kind of terms, like explain this. I I can explain how the surface of the ramp impacted the speed of the car. You know, I've seen a lot of those type of experiments with with speed and and force and motion. So I would, you know, have that baseline language objective. And then from there, you can differentiate the way that you scaffold for your learners. And it may just be that you have one basic scaffold, and then you just tweak it a bit to accommodate different levels. So in this case, you might say, my scaffold is going to be sentence frames that I give the students. And you can do this same exact thing, whether you're having them write it or speak it, you would offer them sentence frames, like when the car went down the ramp with blank the speed blank you know meaning increased or decreased and you know you could give more or less support within that sentence frame depending on the level of proficiency of your learners so they may need a whole lot of support maybe just filling in the blank with a, a word bank on the side even Maybe some visual supports even included if they're a newcomer versus at the high end of a student who's more advanced needs less support, taking away the word bank and the images, maybe providing even less text within that sentence frame and, you know, expecting them to put in a bit more of the language themselves because they're ready for it. It's all about taking students, meeting them where they are and helping them move forward so that. What they're doing is still challenging. We don't want to allow the scaffolding to become something that prevents cognitive growth, linguistic growth, obviously. <laughs> but again, that's why I, at the beginning I said how important it is to know our learners because, as we're observing them over time and getting a read on what they're ready for and what they're not, that helps us to craft those differentiated scaffolds.
0: Yes, I love that example. I mean, that was. I think that's so helpful too to remind. Like, it's not doing more work, writing all these different language objectives, you can take that same language objective and just find different ways to scaffold it. And being aware, like you're saying, I think sometimes we fall into the trap of over scaffolding and we're really limiting that cognitive ability of our students. And they feel that, they sense that, and we don't want that to happen. They they love when they rise to a challenge. They feel proud of themselves. They feel confident. And that's what we want to give them. So it's having that keen awareness of where our students are at. And when they're ready to maybe feel that frustration point, but you know, they're going to break through, you know, and providing what they need at the different levels. It's it's hard, but it's, it's just a lot of observation and and trying new things out. But that was a yeah. great example.
1: Yeah. And I like, I like to encourage people to, you know, don't feel like you have to, you know, obviously we want to write these language objectives and content objectives on the board. You know, we want to make them visible, put them in student-friendly language, because obviously that's going to help them be impactful as part of the learning process for our students. You know, they're not just for us to write, they're for us to communicate well to the students and make sure that they are familiar with what's what the purpose of those (laughs) objectives are in the context of the lesson. But I encourage people don't feel like you have to write out a completely separate language objective for students at each level. I would choose, you know, let's say that there's, a scaffold that is going to be the most widely used across the board with your students in a lesson, just write that. And then if there's certain tweaks or differentiated levels of that scaffold or even additional scaffolds that you're planning to implement for your beginning English learners, you don't necessarily have to write all of those down on the board. They don't all have to be visible. If you know uh, in your planning that you're going to implement them, that's sufficient. And as long as the students have some awareness of how they're going to be using language, you know, and some of them are just routines anyway that you have in the class that your students just know they're going to be receiving anyway. So for those that like to dot their I's and cross their T's, I say, you know, don't feel like you have to write all of it on the board.
0: Yes. We don't want you all to do more work. We know that <laughs> teachers are
1: doing And nobody hard. got time for that. No, no, no.
0: So we're trying to keep this simple. Language objectives simplified, right? That's right. And I think, you know, what you were saying, this is where I see the power of language objectives is really for the teacher having a clear idea of what are you assessing? What are you observing? What are you monitoring? Um, and for our students to know that, because when you're learning another language, when your brain is like, what's happening, what's the expectation, what are we doing today? And every day they're coming in feeling that way. And when I first started teaching, that's how it was. I was very like, oh, right, let's try this. And really not structured and routined. And that's very hard for our multilingual learners because their brain's not building that schema, not building that framework. But if we build that framework, if they know here's the language objective on the board, or here's, you know, even if I have it on a post-it or something, they know that, okay, this is what I can focus on today. And that helps them feel safe. It helps them feel comfortable. It helps their brain relax a little if they know, oh, today I'm going to be working on a speaking activity doing this. Then they don't feel overwhelmed with what's going to happen. And then as teachers, we don't also place that on them of like, oh, well, let's, assess their writing today, but we didn't even really tell them we were working on writing. So we're not really being fair. We take a work that they've done and say, okay, let's assess the reading on this. Well, if we're not prepping them and giving them and building that in them, then it's not really a fair assessment of what they're working on. You know, So I think just really narrowing it down and, and being clear today, this is what we're working on for language and content helps them have such an easier place of learning because they feel safe and they feel very confident. Okay. I can. And as you do that, you know, throughout the year, they, they really love
1: that routine and that structure. Yes. I love that. That's so important to remember for all of our students, especially in these times when their little minds are hit with so much chaos and, and things that are unpredictable and, difficult to process. It's it's definitely, I think it helps provide some stability and calm for them when we can have that kind of structured environment. It's so good. Yes, that is so true.
0: All right. We have just a couple minutes left. So let's talk. You're also the scaffolding queen and you're so great at sharing easy to implement scaffolds. Let's talk about if there are some overwhelmed teachers who are like, where do I even begin with scaffolds? I hear that word and it's just, I don't know what to do. <laughs> what would you recommend are, you know, two to three scaffolds that are just great go-to scaffolds to have in place to start with as they begin to differentiate and uh, modify instruction for their English language learners?
1: Yeah, there's lots that don't require any prep, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> <I think. Woohoo>! <laughs> <laughs> A lot of teachers have this understanding that scaffolding is this really intense, time intensive thing you have to do every single time you sit down to write a lesson plan. But there are a lot of scaffolds that can become simple routines in your class that, you know, are just part of your day to day. There are a lot that require no materials or prep. You know, keep staying open minded. And I think it's our responsibility as Uh, professional learning communities to engage in pursuing just understandings of new scaffolds together and talking about them for us to broaden our awareness of what scaffolds exist and how they can be used. That's kind of on all of us to be responsible for that element of our own professional development, regardless of what role we're in, in the school setting. I think I always say just so simple, so, so simple, but so easy is just increase your mindfulness, your awareness of your voice and how you are using your, your rate of speech and your tone and, and also supplementing that with your gestures, your hand movements, your body movements, and It's amazing the impact that that, just that awareness can have on your multilingual learners and their comprehension of what you're sharing in the class. I know a lot of times we don't have a lot of time. We have a lot of instructional content to communicate. And so we start going a mile a minute. And before we know it, we've left our poor learners in the dust. (laughs) So that's the first one that I like to share. There's so many scaffolds that are so good. So it's always hard to narrow it down. But another one that I would say is when you're planning, it's like trying to choose an ice cream flavor. Yeah. <laughs> the ice cream. <laughs> like, they're all yeah. so good. But I would say, like, when you're planning a lesson, look every single time, look for a way that you can get students using expressive language, either speaking or writing or interacting in some way. I've seen a lot of students that maybe are growing and they're reading and listening proficiency, and that is great, but their expressive language is getting left behind because teachers aren't challenging them to engage in those type of activities, which yes, they are more challenging, but when supported well, students can engage in them, and really that's the only way that they're going to develop increased proficiency in speaking and writing. And plus, interacting is always a great practice to include in our teaching. That's something that really helps students in the process of learning. It helps them question and engage, and it's motivating for them. So I say always just look for ways that you can get them talking, get them writing, and provide, of course, the scaffolds that are needed for that. And I would say the last one would be, and this this applies especially, I think, to our upper elementary teachers is... If you need to use a grade-level text, find a way to make that text accessible to your English learners. And it may be that you're uh, tapping into an app or a website that provides leveled text. There are lots of those out there now that are great and easily accessible. It's not always the case that we need to go digging through the book room and find kind of a babyish kindergarten book for this higher level content. But if if one of those applications or websites does not have exactly what you're looking for, I always encourage people, don't be afraid to engineer, as we say, engineer that text, adapt it, summarize it. There's ways that you can kind of pull apart or draw out the most essential, meaningful parts of that text that you know your, your learners need to know and just creating a simpler version for them where the language load isn't quite as heavy for them. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. I always say you don't have to rewrite the text completely and spend an hour doing that. It could just be as simple as, yes, give the student the grade level text. It's important they have that they have exposure to that, but summarize each paragraph or if you have even less time than that, is there a way that you could screenshot each paragraph and put it on a each each paragraph on a google slide just separating it out visually even chunking the text for them so it's less visually overwhelming could you go through if it's printed already and just highlight super important words or new tier 3 vocabulary words that you already know are going to be up on the wall on your word wall and oh there they are in the text too let me highlight them there's lots of things you can do to text that will help it uh, be more accessible And if you can do all those things, super. If you can do one of those things, it's something, right? So those are some top ones. I was thinking of something I love to do is
0: if you have time, you know, reading the passage and then putting a little QR or something that they can listen to the passage beforehand, read fluently, because I think that's a lot of, you know, trouble that they run into if they're not fluent readers and they have this text and they get caught up in trying to read it and they're missing the meaning. So giving them the opportunity to listen to the text can also help them before they go into, you know, dissecting or doing whatever the the task is. But there's a lot of power in that listening comprehension.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I love that idea. Yeah, and again, it's I mean,
0: there's a lot even as experienced teachers of multilingual learners, you sometimes feel like you're not doing enough, but in the end showing up giving them a smile, knowing that they're welcomed in your classroom and that they're supported, that they're loved goes a long way. And so to the listeners, don't doubt that, you know, start simple, try to just say, you know what, this week, I'm going to try to implement this scaffold. Let's look at my lessons and I'm going to put it into this lesson and this lesson and go from there. Don't put it on yourself to have to be scaffolding everything all the time just give yourself grace and, and try little by little, like Courtney said, you know, those little things can really make a big difference. So don't underestimate the power of just small scaffolds here and there to really support your language learners. Well, Courtney, this was so wonderful. This was filled with so much information. I want to go back and listen to this one again. Can you let my listeners know where they can find you and connect with you?
1: Sure. Um, pretty much everywhere I'm at the all access classroom. So my website is the all I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at the all access classroom and yeah, that's where I hang out. Awesome. <laughs> and
0: I think you said you'll share that language objective template with us, as yes. long, Correct. Okay. So yeah. we'll have that in the show notes. So make sure to grab that, to get started on having that framework, because it's really helpful once you start to see the framework and how it works. I think you all will be really blessed by that. So, all right. Thanks so much, Courtney. You're the best, Beth. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Bye. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.